through the clouds Memories come rushing up to meet me now But in the space between the heavens And the corner of some foreign field
We cannot just write off his final scene Take heed of the dream Take Uh, you're listening to Ink Studs on CITR 101.9 FM in Vancouver. I'm your host, Robin, and my guest this week is a former Vancouverite, one of uh, many that have left our fine shores for the um, interior lands of London, Ontario. His work is going to be fe- or is currently featured in a show in London, Ontario, of himself and some former Vancouverites and other London folks called Not Bad for London. Jason McLean, how are you doing, Jason? I'm doing very well. Talking a lot lately. Yeah. Have you been doing right. other interviews and stuff, or? Um, well, a bunch of stuff. Um, I just got back from uh, New York recently. I did a show down there with my friend Joe Gorillo from the Deer Raindrop Collective, and yeah, doing a few interviews. Not a lot of radio or anything, but uh, little like uh, print interviews and blog interviews and like. Um, I was trying to set up something for the Not Bad for London show, a little uh, CTV television interview, and just trying different things to get things, you know, drummed up, but hitting up a lot of the same people for uh, press for both shows. But Now, to give people a little bit of context of who you are, um, in some circles you're well-known, but in the comic circle, not necessarily, um, I guess folks would be familiar with your work from um, the Nagadod book with Mark Bell and a whole plethora of other Vancouverites, including uh, Peter Thompson. Well, Peter Thompson never lived in Vancouver. Yeah, he did. He did? He, li- he lived twice, really briefly. <laughs> he lived with me for a while, a couple times. Uh, he's a man of mystery, Peter Thompson. He's, a, he's, an, excellent, he's an excellent guy, and he, can he ever draw? Maybe yeah. one of the finest drawers in Canada. He's a doodling machine, um, as well as Shane Eamon, uh, Robert Dayton, Amy Lockhart, and a whole whack of other uh, fine doodlers. Um, yeah. As well, yeah. you have work in the Ganzel Book 5. It's a Japanada one under the name um, The All-Star Schnauzer Band. Yeah. Some of your Love work story in there. there. <laughs> um, oh, that, that could take many interviews. <laughs> <laughs> How many folks were involved in the Schnauzer band? The Schnauzer band? Oh, many. There was like, you know, Condo Schnauzer. What was that? No, Townhouse. Townhouse Schnauzer. And there was, um, um, there was, um, Quarter Pounder Schnauzer, Hot Dog Schnauzer. Um, on well, the main key members are On Off Schnauzer, Libby Schnauzer, and Pencils Schnauzer. The Pencils <laughs> is also known as Pizza. Pizza, um, many names, um, but um, that's something that started a while ago. So there's uh, there's talk of um, more stuff happening soon. So um, it's on and off with the Schnauzers. You know, they're very temperamental. <laughs> Was that influenced at all by the uh, Nihilist Spasm Band in Toronto? Or in London, I mean? In London, yeah, p- possibly... Um, yeah, yeah. I think the spasm probably the spasm band was like an early influence on the Schnauzers. You know, we sat in on a couple little projects with the spasm band, like 
like side side projects. Never really the Schnauzer band, but uh, some side things. Uh, there was Unclean Schnauzer, and uh, with some members of Unclean Wiener, um, uh, some of the Spasm Band's kids that played with the Schnauzers. It's like almost a second wave or something. That was a while ago at the the No Music Festival, and there was the various events. Uh, one of the on-off Schnauzer did. Uh, with with the spasms when I was like living out on the west coast, but um, yeah, it's it's all it's a big it's um you just have to Google the All Search Now as a band and then the whole picture just falls into place. So <laughs> I'll, I'll make sure and add a link to this interview for folks to check <laughs> to out. Google to Google <laughs> and to kind of go with um, the Nyla Spasm band. You are currently working on archiving one of the former members um, who passed away. Uh, some time ago in an accident. Yeah, I mean, maybe not archiving, but like I've been running a little uh, gallery space called the Hugh Display Case, um, which is at the Fred Landon Library in London, Ontario, where um, Greg Cornell used to go when he was a kid. And um, and Hugh McIntyre uh, um, was the head librarian there, and he also did a film series through the library, but he was the bass player for the Nile Spasm Band. He's passed away now, so I thought it'd be kind of a nice way to kind of remember Hugh, um, naming the case after him, even though per se he doesn't have anything to do with the shows, but he was involved with the library. But No, I did a show. The first show in the Hugh Display case was a show. It was called GC Text Me, which is Greg Curnow Text Me, because uh, it was interesting, because kind of I thought it was kind of a play on words a bit, because Greg in a lot of ways probably was never highly involved with internet, though he was involved with technology because the internet really wasn't even going then because he passed away in 92. Uh, but he used to play around with text and language a lot, so I thought it was kind of a play on words a little bit. But I, I showed a, one piece of his, one early collage of his, and a whole bunch of book arts and ephemera um, that uh, I had been collecting for a while, and some I had gotten out of archives. and. Uh, he was uh, Greg was the drummer of the Nihilist Spasm Band, and uh, um, um, it, there's been a bunch of projects with Greg Curnow's career and like, or not career, but Greg Curnow and like, um, um, since I moved to London, I also got involved with a project through Paul Butler with helping him out with uh, Greg Curnow bike ride piece that's currently at the AGO. I think it just ended at the Art Gallery of Ontario. Paul's project he did on the Greg Curnow bike ride. Um, we went around to different locations where the Greg had studios and then where his house was. Maybe he was a child and uh, various places where the Spasm Band played and and uh, it was an interesting kind of um, um, kind of journey around the city. And then it got videotaped and photographed and and then uh, it ended up in, as a show and it's going to tour around parts of Canada, I think. So. How familiar, um, before you moved to Vancouver, were you with this kind of artistic core to London? Well, I'm originally from London. No, oh, I know, I know. So, like, when yeah, you so, I mean, when you're growing up. I haven't up. lived here in 20 years, so there was a lot of stuff I was familiar with before I left, but only the last few years before I left. Um, like, I was in art high school in London, in HBBL Art, in, um, in London, Ontario, and... Um, and so I started learning about this just before I left, like a few years before I left NBO Art, and it was kind of like an art high school, and um, um, where we specialized in art, um, 
Um, and um, so there were certain things I started to know about, but I wasn't as big a f I don't know if a fan would be the word, but I didn't know in depth how much that actually happened and how important this community was to the arts scene in Canada in the 70s and 80s. Because London was a really, really big center for art, especially in the late 60s, early 70s. Um, and I, you know, just a lot of people don't know that now, and a lot of people don't know that out on the West Coast. So mm -hmm. it's and um, even now with the context of yourself and and Mark Bell, um, I think there's a definite importance there in comics. You see the influence that Mark has had. Um, quite profoundly over the last several years where you see a lot of these folks have really picked up a lot of those tricks he's learned. They've learned yeah, from no, looking at Mark's I, work. Yeah, Mark's really, like, he's published so much stuff the last few years, and and uh, and we've, we're almost seeing, like, second and third waves of the Nagadod kind of style, you know, because a lot of that was done, if that is a style in some ways, but... Um, or just an idea. Yeah, an idea of a of a grouping of something, but um, I mean, you're seeing general, like you know, like to say, like I see, like um, like the Wowie Zonk group, yeah, uh, maybe being a younger generation of that, but almost like almost beginning to be like third generation or something. Like there's a younger group, and like because we were kind of the group of us when we started, we were like pre Royal Art Lodge, pre internet, like because we started drawing a lot and. We started drawing around Pete Thompson and Mark Bell and I around like eighty nine ninety. Like eighty nine maybe and like like when we were doing that there wasn't a lot of people doing what we were doing, especially in image wise and collaboration and such. So um and then it got quite trendy around two thousand, two thousand one and then it kinda died out again. And it seemed like there's almost been a bit of a rebirth of some of that again or maybe it's been become more accepted in some ways. Do you find that over time the that level of work or that style of work that you guys are doing or get is getting more of an academic um, appreciation or institutional? Um, it varies, you know. Um, like this show in the Not Bad for London at Michael Gibson Gallery, like the National Gallery came down to check out the show, and there was some other museums that were interested in buying work from the show. So perhaps it is becoming more accepted in some ways or like maybe we just won't go away or something <laughs> <laughs> no that's being a bit cynical but uh no i'm kind of joking around but but it 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 seems um like i think people were really wondering what, what we were doing like early shows i would do in the late 90s like people still were wondering what this some of this cartoon imagery was filtering into the well, higher circles you know but um I don't know. Um, it's been accepted a little more. I'm not sure if I answered your question correctly, but I, I think there's a, a an yeah. answer in there. Maybe um, kind of looking at that level. I don't know if I want to say high circles, but the um, the institutional uh, idea is what your kind of take on comics, your involvement of cartoon imagery. How for for folks to understand is that different from say co-opting like say a Lichtenstein or a Warhol. Or do you see a difference? Yeah. Um, um, 
I don't know, like my, my influences have come from so many different directions, from like higher and lower and accepted forms and like I, I mine's like a big like melting pot of like people that have been accepted in certain higher circles and lower circles and um you know, like a, like a Philip Gustin or like um or Jean Michel Basquiat and like with cartoon references. I mean my my work really never came directly from like I never did comic panels, but I just mm-hmm. like heavily influenced comic imagery. Like it was maybe like a newer form of comic making in some ways. Yeah, like I definitely feel like you're um pulling in the idea of these like um and maybe it's similar to like what you see in Gustin's work where um it's these symbols, these like simple components have a role that they play a function within that work. I don't know. That yeah, well, sense? there's like, there's like, um, there'd be certain like, especially with Mark and Pete and I. Sometimes we would do like, like characters or like have like our our characters that we devolve and they would start reappearing in things. And you get like, almost, for me, like maybe like my bag of tricks kind of thing, you know? Like, as far as like, things would start reappearing and then you, you know, we were talking about this the other day. How our, uh, uh, I think it was. Um, maybe James Kirkpatrick and Pete Thompson and I, like, how you would get, like, Mark and I, with how we'd get your own kind of mythology of certain things going on with, like, in-jokes or, like, local references and, like, characters that would start reappearing and then you'd develop personalities for them in a way, but it wouldn't be through comics, like, comic panels or, like, um, dialogue or something. It's mm. by, like... Um, scenarios or something in a larger panel or something like maybe like the, the the panels got pushed into one panel or something yeah well I definitely feel like there is a dialogue in your work but it's like an internal dialogue that's happening within the piece where it's like communicating with itself yeah yeah it's like almost a bit of removed from the work or like out of body in some ways like you're looking at yourself from outside or something um, I don't know if that makes sense, but um, um, so I just lost my. I, I think it, I think it does. I think it does make sense looking at from outside. Um, yeah, but uh, definitely, you know, my work definitely has a lot to do with my daily life, and like, I don't keep a diary, and um, and uh, it, there's definitely things from like day to day life that appear in the work, and like. If you get to know me, you need to know my. You understand my work even better. Sometimes my work takes a bit of explanation, and it can be a bit cryptic or like in joke next to something that's very personal and stuff. But um, um, yeah, it's interesting actually being on this program and like not really doing comics per se. But then your your boundaries stretch, mm-hmm. you know, with the people you interview. So, but I've always kind of wanted to do a comic. I did one comic actually, kind of like a comic, but I even put it together kind of badly. And, like it was like um, it was about Karen Baldwin, um, the former Miss Universe um, from London, Ontario. And I did this while I was in Toronto before I moved to London, and I only made five copies of it, and they were all hand watercolored. It was very small, and it talked about her um, relationship with Sammy Suvlaki, this um, Suvlaki. And um, and them hanging out near the Galambardo Bridge near the Thames River, 
and like it's very very bizarre there's all these London references and I was like I only said them to people I think that lived in London because no one else would get the references it was really oddball and they were all talking about purple and western and like western university here and like it was pretty funny but I had this like kind of side fascination with Karen Baldwin the former Miss Universe and there was actually two Miss Universes that came from the same high school in London that's a sexy high school (laughs) (laughs) there was a painting at the city hall in London which I've wanted to always see again and it's not up there anymore because we went in the city hall and it wasn't there of this like it looks like very like 80s kind of California style like I don't even know if it was airbrushed of the Karen Baldwin and I, I don't know if it's in like the mayor's office now or where it is but like we've had these jokes about Karen Baldwin and she did some program I think called The New You and Robert I think Robert Dayton and Canned Ham him and Big Ham did a cover of The New You theme song and they were kind of closetly like into Karen Baldwin's talk show or something like it was really weird if it's it really... obscure, I'm sure Robert Dayton was all over it <laughs> no no Robert and I go back way back and he's like such a good friend um, I don't think Robert's realized how well he's actually done you know like he's inspired so many people and he's like an incredible writer artist musician cartoonist comedian, uh, actor, like, you name it, he does it, you know, like, performance artist, like, everything, like, I don't know, so, a big inspiration, we went to art school together at Emily Carr School, and he actually exposed me to a lot of stuff, like, like, Jack Kirby, and then I wasn't totally sold on his work, and, like, I, I, I think he's talented, but I, just, I couldn't get the excitement, you know? And then, but when I see Pettibone's work, Raymond Pettibone's work, I'm like totally get all these references where things come from, and like there's so many references, and like he was someone who showed me a lot of work, and like um, at school, at art school, and exposed me to a lot of really he would call neato music and stuff. <laughs> oh, Robert, we miss you in Vancouver. No, I know I see Robert a bit in Toronto here and there, and he's doing well. I think he's. Um, He's 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 going for it still. Like um, he's had his ups and downs, but um, I think he's on a really good path. You know. I, every uh, every time I see him, we have extensive conversations of very obscure. Yeah, in some comments. ways, it's really sad, but I still think he should kind of move to the states to Los Angeles. I don't know. It's very sad. I've been thinking about that a lot. And some new work I'm doing about there's a lot about like Canadian artists moving to the U.S. because it's so hard to make it in Canada. You know. Um, um, just last week, I had uh, an old colleague of yours, um, Mark Pilon, on. Oh yeah. One of the things yeah, we I were. Yeah, I saw that on your website. Yeah. Yeah, and one of the things we were discussing is really the challenge of being an artist in Vancouver, and just the lack of response it has as a city. And I'm wondering yourself, moving from Vancouver to Toronto to London, um, how has that been comparatively for you? Like, have you found it was that. a huge, huge change. Like, I talked about it a lot with people, and they asked me, like, they were like, Vancouver? Why would you ever move from Vancouver to Toronto? And, like, as this, like, Vancouver had, like, you know, like you were always skiing every day or something. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we're playing tennis in the winter or something, you know. Like, our reality was much different, and maybe we chose to be that way, you know. We chose to be a homeowner 
and like live in like the wonderful yet skittish east side uh, around um, Oppenheimer and mm-hmm. when we first moved to, to uh, bought our first house but um, you know that's straying a bit away from the question but um, but no I found I found the media was just so much stronger out east in Toronto it was like I think Toronto's like I read statistics sometimes on Wikipedia and stuff like that and research cities and stuff but I think they said Toronto had the fourth largest media center in North America that might not be including Mexico um, Mexico seems like always gets forgotten but um, but um, but um, it just seemed like it wasn't hard to get a review in the Globe and Mail in, in Toronto whereas in Vancouver you would work like your whole career and you know, you, if you could get a Cross Canada Globe and Mail article, it was a really big deal, you know. But then I did like one of my first shows in Toronto, and and um, um, you know, I got a, a you know press in the Globe and Mail right away, and I was like, what? This is too easy. And like you'd get like we did like the, a group of us um, that was similar group that's in the um, the Not Bad for London show um, uh, did a show called Pulp Fiction at the MOCA in Toronto. It started off, it was it went to Museum London, then to the MOCA uh, in Toronto, then to St. Mary's University in Halifax. And we we must have got like, you know, 30 pieces of press or something. It was incredible, you know, in Toronto alone, you know. Not all positive, but media-wise, it was just crazy, just like the difference. In, and as far as the understanding, I thought there was more understanding for contemporary work, less academic in a lot of ways. Um, than than the West Coast because I was kind of involved more with like um, a circle you know there was that photo and maybe photo and bit and video or like conceptual like film mm-hmm. magazine angle of, of Vancouver that maybe what I was doing wasn't totally accepted and the Nagadad stuff that all sprang out of kind of out of Vancouver in a lot of ways maybe it was always a sideline and never quite accepted like you know people just in higher circles would never go to the Lower East Side Gallery or Lucky's comic book shop to see art shows yeah you know yeah you you, you for the Nagadad show for like to launch that book I, I heard that you did like an installation at a Moonbase Gallery for that which like in comparison yeah well it was actually interesting because that show it gets tricky because like that show Nagadod that I, I I said I organized I never said I curated it because I never wrote a statement or anything it was 55 book artists and we used the word Nagadod and actually the invite was of a character that was Mark and I's more, maybe more marks even than mine and then I used it and I kind of feel bad I never got total permission from Mark for using it and I was, I'm bad that way sometimes I get doing stuff and don't think of all the like the who owns what image or what who's belongs to what are giving total credit and stuff I'm I'm trying to get better with that and the Nagada word I thought I came up with it but it's hard to say because Mark and I were doing a lot of writing um together in book arts together but I was playing around with a lot of made up words in large large words that were nonsensical and um, I decided it was a good fit for the show and um, so that show happened first and then the book came out much later so it was like 55 book artists from around North America and it was everyone even like everyone from like Brian Youngen was in that show next to like Fiona Smythe and this guy Alex Morrison and like Owen Plummer. There was like um, 
it was a really like all over the place show like and showing at Moonbase which is more of a pop art gallery which it'll come down to being remembered if it's ever remembered as an exhibition as being a real oddball collab like grouping of people you know because mm -hmm. my my boundaries stretch into various facets of groups you know which actually ties in with my relationship to comics like I kind of would go within both pockets you know like you know one day I would go to a Lucky's opening and the same day I'd end up going to the Contemporary Art Gallery opening like the same day you know and I'd know people in both circles but those people might not mingle in the same circles together you know rarely it happens uh, yeah. <laughs> um, Mark told me to ask you about the uh, Moonbase Mouse oh yeah well you know Scott Evans and I, Scott is a wonderful artist who lives in Victoria, B.C., um, who I don't talk to enough. One of my favorite artists, he was part of the the, the Gansfield Japanada issue, too, that Mark Bell um, organized the Canadian section of it. And his work is so incredible. But um, Scott and I did a show called, was it called Hodgepodge? Hodgepodge. And we did it at Moonbase Gallery, and we built this hut, the sound hut that was made of shag carpet and rebar with a straw roof with cherries on top with a sound bass chair that was inside it that you'd sit inside and it would send bass vibrations to your body when you press this button that lit up and it had a, like a listening station and like almost like an altar that you would sit around and then Brian Rurick the musician who lives in Toronto now, who was used to also live in Vancouver, and Josh Stevenson, who was, and Josh has done a lot, but Josh played in the band Jackie O, motherfucker, and, um, and various other bands, and um, they did the sound for the show, and we had this giant mushroom, with this chanting hippie inside it. Um, some of it's on a hidden section of my website, um, if people want to see it under jasonmcclain.ca. Um... But the mouse, I thought it was a rat, ended up living in the straw hut in the gallery. Because, um, you know, it was just like such an appealing setting in the winter months, I think. <laughs> I think it was like for the gallery, but yeah, it was funny. But, you know, if that show had been any other gallery in Vancouver, it would have got so much attention. And sometimes, not to knock Vancouver too much, but Vancouver's so exclusive. Like, they would go to Artspeak next door, you know. But then they wouldn't go to the Moonbase show, and it was like just as high a level, and it was like it was like one of the best shows I've ever been involved with, and like there was a few people that would cross over and go in the door, but some people wouldn't go in because it was known as more of a pop art and cartoons-based space, and it's just like that that attitude just really sucks, you know, like as far as like like why is there those boundaries? It's it's almost I don't know how to describe it. It's like you only want to hang out with your own kind or something, you know? Like, <laughs> no, it's kind of true, you know? Yeah. Like, it's not very open-minded. It's a kind of art classist. Like, like I would also go to Gallery Gachet all the time, the, the the gallery that they dealt with a lot of like mental health and like like street art and and like uh, very like political like base east side art and stuff and like people just wouldn't go into that gallery and that was like one of my favorite galleries and like well they wouldn't go into the inuit galleries or like and i was just like i don't know but they wouldn't go into the record stores like zulu records and like see some of the really cool art that um 
I don't know if it was Brady Cranfield that used to curate stuff there, but like there was some great stuff in there too. And like so there was all these little niches, but then whenever anyone talked about the city, it was always like the higher circle places they'd talk about. And they'd always forget about these smaller spaces and some of the like Lucky's just did some exceptional shows and they still do good shows. And like people would never go into them, you know, Lucky's in Vancouver, so um but I don't know. And then after a while I got tough tired of like preaching to people and saying, Oh, you should try out this or that or like or you should come down to the Gaff Gallery in, in that's mm-hmm. not there anymore in Strathcona because they're doing wonderful things and like and then you just kind of like, fine, if you don't want to come, like, you don't have to come, you know? You know, I don't know. Oh, I miss the gaff. I really like that little space. Yeah, I know, nice. I know. Um, it, was an, it was an odd... Yeah, that, they, they did some interesting things there. I almost got um, into a... Well, I kind of did get into a fight there. <laughs> <laughs> I got a guy in a headlock. <laughs> Stuff I can't even say on the radio. Because he was going to throw a water cooler at my drawing that I was showing in Italy, like shipping to Italy the next day. <laughs> it was insane. Sometimes you have to ask, maybe Mark DeLong about that or something. Did someone just like come in off the street there? No, not at all. He was like a he was like a regular like gallery goer. Like I got really mad. Like, like people don't often see me as a person who gets mad, no. but. Like that was intense. Like I lifted him off the ground in a chokehold, and they had to call the police. Oh my god, Jason. Yeah. yeah. So I don't know. So coming uh, to to, Mark to change. Mark DeLong. We should talk about Mark DeLong a little bit too. Is he still in Vancouver? Yeah, he's in Vancouver, and um, he's another one that strays the boundaries between comics and non-comics, and we've done mm-hmm. a lot of stuff together. Kind of like t- really taken off with collaborating with him a lot um, the last seven or eight years. And we did some Neves books together, which some people might have seen my Neves books. I did two Neves books, the, the drawing books out of Switzerland mm-hmm. that circulate all over the place. Melanie Sheepwash, was it one of them? Yeah, and what was the other one called? Oh, You Don't Need Teeth to Play Tennis. I think that's what it was called. And then which became a show we did at the Lower East Side Gallery. And it was interesting too, you know, this is another little side rant, but like I did my show at the Lower East Side Gallery and not a single collector that's ever bought my work in Vancouver came out to that show opening. And yet it's the same work that I'm showing there that I'm showing at like say the Vancouver Art Gallery or something, but like just people just didn't want to support that space and now it's gone you know and they showed a really great lineup of artists and a lot of cartoon friendly work and stuff it's kind of a shame I don't know because it's like I showed at the same space with Mark DeLong we did a show at Jeffrey Farmer's gallery that he ran which he got some funding through Olympic money to, um, I believe um, to have his gallery called Every Letter in the Alphabet, which was a wonderful gallery, like one of the, my favorite galleries ever in the country. And like we did a show there, and it was right beside the last gallery, and we got a lot of the collectors that would usually come to my, my shows, um, like had bought my work. And then the, later, you know, like a year later, not less than a year later, I do a space, a show with a space right beside there, and those people don't come. You know, it's really weird. Um, 
then just for folks to check out uh, Mark DeLong's work, he has a book out, uh, Soda Pop? Is that what it's called? Yeah, he has a few things. He has a new one. Um, he's got... Um, I have the book right over here in my bookshelf. Uh, I think, but there was is every what's the every is something like the clock on the ship or something. He did one. He did a bunch of stuff. He did some um, stuff through. Um, I forget his seems seems books s e e m s seems. Mm -hmm. And Mark has a show coming up in New York coming up this week. Um, I'm not exactly sure the name of the gallery. I think it's might be through his seems gallery that he got the show, but he's been really active, and in some ways Vancouver never appreciates what they have sometimes. Like He's an artist that is, gets such a high level of showing internationally, and then in some ways never gets totally appreciated in Vancouver in some ways, so... But... Oh, know. Vancouver. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Vancouver does celebrate some things, you know? You know? Oh, I know. Jeff um, Wall was my neighbor. Is that my old house on Cordova Street? His his studio. I don't know That's his work. You don't know Jeff's work? Yeah, he's like he's one of the most famous artists Canada's ever produced. He's like a photo conceptual artist, and I feel like I never totally understood his work, but like you know, like the Queen came to his show in England, and oh wow, like things like that you know, like he's like he's basically put Vancouver on the map internationally for art, but. It is. It is interesting. Like there is, I can definitely feel that sense of uh, odd community there. Where I don't know, it's this shared experience you all have. Tell me about um, living in Vancouver and how um, community affects your work. Like as far as visually looking at your work, of how where you are speaks into it. Um, well, the community that when I lived in Vancouver was so strong in Strathcona, the section on the east side of just east of Chinatown in Vancouver, like community was such a key part. Like there was like about seven years ago, there was just such a good group of people. Like I would say like 40 or 50 people, and then maybe that might be exaggerating a little bit, but like we'd go out for a walk, and everyone would be hanging out in McLean Park, um, and uh, having beers and like watching soccer, and like there'd be nowhere to go for a drink really per se, other than in the afternoon or like go for a good coffee years ago and like um, so everyone would just get together at people's houses or in the park and you'd be all collaborating and sharing ideas and talking about projects you were working on and like um, I did a piece called Strathcona Heights um, that recently just just sold um, and it was all like a family tree of Vancouver and um, the grouping of people that I was working around and um, I mean some of those artists that I was doing stuff with, like Jeff Halliday and Shane Eamon and Shay Semple and like um, Mark Bell and like maybe a little bit Amy Lockhart and like there's a whole key group marked along like Johnny Johnny P Johnny Patterson and like uh, Kenny Rue and like um, even Joe Cook a little bit who'd come and visit like there was just like um, we we they'd be some of my favorite artists, you know. Like people would say, "Who are you looking at lately? What art are you looking at?" And I'm like, I wouldn't be looking at like online at New York or Los Angeles artists or artists in England and stuff. I'd be looking at like friends art, you know. Mm -hmm. 
you know, I don't know, like some of those people were key influences and some of the music community in Vancouver was really influential a lot too, you know, like, like Dan Behar from Destroyer and Kurt Dahl, the drummer from New Pornographers later on when he lived across the street from me and like, um, I don't know, there was a lot of people, July 4th Toilet, Robert Dayton's band and I did a lot of early stuff for them and like the whole sense of community around some of the music circles because that's how my art really got going was through I worked with Mark Pilon at Discord Magazine at at at, at, um, at UBC when I first moved to Vancouver and that's how I met like Mark and like I met Nardwar really briefly and like um, um, Paul that used to be up there I can't remember his last name who moved to Toronto and like I got involved through CD music packaging, through doing stuff for Traction Industries with this guy Justice, um, and doing stuff through like sideline stuff with Scratch Records, kind of like, and doing music and gig posters and like looking at CD packaging and album art. Um, more than looking at galleries, I was looking at at, at music stuff in some ways. So community, yeah, definitely. There's such a solid community in Vancouver. It's kind of fractured in some ways. Um, it's all over the like the whole community that we were around in Strathcona is all over the place now. You know. I also am curious, like when you look, when I look at one of your works, uh huh, and you're pulling specifically when you look at that work, you see it. You see yeah. Strathcona. You see Vancouver. You see Cordova Street, and how that works into like your daily routines into into creating your work yeah well I mean there was just so much to draw from it was just such an interesting area to live in like living in the Lower East, or Lower East Side the downtown east side um, like just the problems with like you know poverty and addiction and like um, scavengers and like characters like just like people you just wouldn't see anywhere else in almost in North America unless maybe you were living in Baltimore or something like it was just like street sales and like um, you know like everyone from like you know like to the one-armed man to like you know the the ice lady the pimp juice like all these characters we started evolving and like had little stories about them and like um, like there's just no shortage of inspiration every day even if it was horrific you know, I would often deal with situations that were like, I felt like my life was being threatened or like seeing such despair with mental illness that I dealt with my, you know, my problems with mental illness myself was really severely and like feeling compassion yet feeling no sympathy and feeling like, I think people were getting involved with like um, substances and stuff that, you know, like. Oh, I don't, it's a whole other thing, you know, like, as yeah. far as, like, I was just, like, I was just viewing what I was seeing and putting it on paper, you know, like, I wasn't maybe even taking a stance sometimes that what was right or wrong, but I was, like, just, you know, like, showing what I was seeing on a daily basis, like, I would actually go for my drawing at night and walk out to the store, you know, to get an instant noodles or something, because there was nothing else you could get, and I would see the characters I was drawing on the street, you know, so, like, your drawing was almost becoming it's like watching like some sort of crime show and like then going outside and seeing the criminals or something you know like or like it was too real in some ways because your life and your art got to be like like the same thing you know has moving away from Vancouver from that situation because like where you lived I know the area quite well and it's not an easy area to live in 
No. Uh, how well, has that affected like a change in your work? Yeah, well, you know, we moved and we moved in, in, in Strathcona. We moved. We were on the fringe when we first bought our first house. We bought like pre-Olympics. And got really obsessed with real estate for a while, like a lot of people in Vancouver. But then we moved a little bit more internal into Vancouver and thinking it would clean up a little bit more and like be a little easier. And then we had problems with mobsters across the street and various things. That, things I don't even talk about. It's just too raw. But um, when we moved to Toronto, it was a real shock. It was like this huge weight lifted off our heads. Like it was just so easy, and it was just like if we heard people walking by with high heels on, it wasn't the prostitutes walking by the block. It was like people high end going to like Italian restaurants for for drinks late at night, or like if you know we saw someone crouched down beside a car. It wasn't that they were smoking crack or injecting themselves. They were like um, maybe had had dropped you know their. Uh, I don't know, like just you know, like they're they're a little dog or something, you know. <laughs> but like I don't know, like it was crazy. Like we were just went through a total shock. It was like we were going through withdrawal because we were so screwed up from living in such a rough neighborhood, and we never realized how bad it actually was and how much it affected our daily life. I mean, in some ways, you don't have to deal with that in Vancouver, but in some ways, you do on such a daily level, you know, like. Just that your norm becomes really jaded, like, I don't know, not jaded, your norm becomes really... Um, skewed? Skewed, like, of what, what the norm is, of what daily life is like, you know? Um, I mean, Vancouver has this wonderful edges, too, like the beaches and the mountains, but in a lot of ways, there's a lot of problems, and I never really totally... I remember friends talking to me about that, I won't mention who, because maybe they wouldn't like to be mentioned, but they would say, like, I would almost be like, well, if you don't like Vancouver, why don't you leave? Because I really like it. And like, they were like, this place is a, a you know, like a frontier town. It's messed up, you know. And like, I never saw that. I always believed in it so much. And like, I mean, all cities have their issues, right? You know, Toronto's not perfect. Like the freeway near the, you know, the waterfront in Toronto is awful. And like, like on a cold winter day in Toronto, when you're walking down through the business district, like. There's the more like gray horrific place you can be in Canada, you know, but um, <laughs> but um, maybe I don't know, but maybe you could be in like I don't I don't I won't, I won't take a cheap shot at a Canadian city, <laughs> but like London sure has its problems too, you know. It's not all rosy here, but like it's really easy here, you know. Like if more people in Vancouver checked out London, this isn't like a tourism for London a, a pitch, but like. Like houses here are dirt cheap. Like there's houses that start at seventy nine thousand dollars here, and like, you know, there's a good solid art community here, and like it's central. Like you're not far from Chicago, from Detroit, or Toronto. It's not far to Montreal, really. In some ways, you can take the train everywhere. You know, there's an international airport. There's like quite a good like avant-garde music community. There's a real history here. You know, like in some ways. Um, I've talked with people and like um, like London, like an old instructor of mine said London ruled the art community in Canada for 15 years and of course no young art students coming out of school know that now because they they all like, you know, they, they don't know their history, you know, not like I know my history that well more than like going 40 years back but it's been really incredible living here. I mean, I like Toronto a lot too and I go up to Toronto quite often but it's just you know, where things are cheap, I think generally good things happen, and like, I don't see that happening in Vancouver in a lot of ways, because it's just too expensive, where are people getting good studios, you know, where are people, 
you know, uh, you know, there's not even the support for the the. the I'm going on a bit of a rant. I should stop. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, yeah. You yeah, know? no, it's 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 a big problem in Vancouver because the only affordable studios are in the downtown east side. Um, yeah, and even then, that's changing so much. There's not even, and like the spaces you're getting are even really expensive, and then the, what you're living around. So, I mean, I know we're not talking about my work per se much right now, but we're talking about maybe the context around my work, but or like be more me as a person. But like, I don't know, like it's had a drastic effect moving out east. And I I really like it out here a lot. I mean, I'm originally from here too. I mean, there's some things, you know, sometimes there's downtown, like, you know, the auto industry that's died in a lot of ways, and it's really heavily affected the city, and, and, and like, unemployment's really high in the city in a lot of ways, and, um, you know, there's a lot of track pants, we've been joking about that a lot lately <laughs> around the town, and, like, high-end track pants and low-end track pants, and, um, but sometimes it's a little bleak, you know? You know, it's not all like, um, you know, the high boots and little dogs of Toronto and the, the Lululemon and, and the Gore-Tex of Vancouver, you know, with all the, you know, the um, the Cedar, you know, the Cedar Skytrain stations and stuff. Oh, I know. <laughs> and the glass towers. The, the Lululemon you know, like, uh, landmark, you, you can, can do get, it. You take what you can get here, you know, and you, you make it happen and you, look, and you try to get everyone doing their little part, you know, to make a solid, solid community, you know. I was, I was looking at your work online, um, and noticing your your more recent work seems like it's kind of decompressed. Uh huh. A little like it seems like you've kind of opened up more visually. Yeah, um, the last couple pieces I just made for this not bad for London show. I feel like in some ways, I don't know. It seems like always my works. It's been such a rush a lot of the time. Like we've moved six times in seven years, and like bought five different houses, and had two kids, and um, the new work has a bit of space to it. Um, I felt like the new work I was making for the Not Bad for London show, the two drawings were really hyper personal, and they were a lot about major issues I've been through in my life with mental health problems and operations I've had with with other health issues and um, I felt like I was really giving part of me in the work and I sometimes feel like some of it's will never be totally understood unless I tell the stories mm -hmm. and um, I'm just kind of it feels like I was dealing a lot with time and mortality and like thinking about moving back to a center where I used to live here 20 years ago and kind of revisiting things and key things that happened to me when I was living here but then reflecting on things here that also I've experienced other places where there's similar oddities, uh, linking them together. Um, um, I mean, there's a lot I've been talking about about mental illness and stuff too. And I recently talked in a Canadian art issue, um, Canadian art magazine, the big Canadian art magazine in Canada, to the three-page spread of me in the past summer issue, and I talked a lot about my move back here. Um, and... Um, um, uh, and I talked a lot about my diagnosis when I got diagnosed with schizophrenia uh, like 17 years ago and uh, I was like fuck it you know like, like I mean I'm not sure I'm supposed to swear on your program but like it's I'm okay. going to talk about it you know like I was just like you know if it can help anyone out there if anyone's listening to this program that suffers from mental health 
like if you can turn around and have like a mortgage be thinking about working on your will like have two kids making your living for the past 10 years off your artwork and have a major mental health problem you know like I don't know like it's possible you know there's hope you know mm-hmm. and I hope I can bring that across not like I'm like the poster boy for like mental health problems and like I definitely don't want to be because like you know it's hard to get into the United States if you have you know if you're diagnosed with schizophrenia I think it's hard at the border to get across but like it's been such a major part of everyday life for me and um, um, and I don't know if he even knew that side of my, my what we've, if I've ever talked about it but um We've talked a little bit about it. Uh, yeah, I think I'm I'm pretty open about it, and like generally, like if people have problems and they want to talk about something, I'll talk about it with them. And like sometimes it gets a bit draining, and you don't want to go there, you know, things you've been through and stuff. But um, I've talked about it a lot in my work, and hopefully that can be one of the things. That, like once this little life of mine's over, like I can be remembered for, you know, like someone that voiced opinion about that you know some people are heavily political about wars going on worldly or various things that they have uh, views on or like or like some sort of gender issues or you know like um, ver- you know various things whatever people want to talk about in their work you know even if people just want to talk about art you know and art history in their work but like I think it's like important to have issues to talk about in your work you know whether or not you're joking about them or uh, playing off on the humor of how bleak it's been, you know? You know, there's mm-hmm. a lot of humor in my work and, like, often joke around with issues that are often very traumatic in some ways, so... How, um... When you were diagnosed, um, uh-huh. and you can tell me if I'm going too far at all, or to yeah. say it's past, um... Did you have to, like, take a step away from your work did you kind of jump into it I really jumped into it it was almost like a therapy for me like I I, I swear like I was barely leaving my room like I was staying at Heather's my wife's she's a girl my girlfriend then at her place and like I could barely go outside and and there's an interview in me the Robert Dayton did in banana fish the old San Francisco Japanese based like noise magazine and they did a thorough 14 page interview with me I got really personal and sometimes I'd almost like to shelve that how personal it was because you forget when you're talking to your friend this is going to be in print mm-hmm. you know and like sometimes you can cross boundaries of maybe how personal you should get with your life with the media um, but I know in a program like this you won't be editing things and stuff you know no, I then, like, like I don't want to be like weird artist makes weird work you know like <laughs> you know like <laughs> He was a cook, and his work was kooky, and like, and like, but like, no, like, I really got into my drawings, and I, I was talking about that in some other interviews, like, seeing things a little differently, perhaps, and I definitely got, I mean, there could be a whole other discussion and talk on, like, we could talk for hours on it, and, um, like, seeing things and using probably sections in my brain that I shouldn't be using, you know, like, really, like, like visionary, like telepathy, like um, um, like just kind of cra- like crazy. Like you know, if you've ever talked to anyone that's been through some major mental health problems, or most likely the guy panhandling outside Seven Eleven in any city in Canada probably could relate with some of my stories. You know, or like um, some of them get you know heavily involved with 
substances and addictions, and I don't drink or I don't do substances or I don't smoke. Not like smoking would have anything much to do with it, but mm-hmm. um, it has actually. There's a uh, thing with uh, with mentalists where smoking can become a real big fixation. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I try to leave clean, like be really, really orderly and like almost like hyper practical. Mm-hmm. Like trying, trying a lot of ways to eat well. Um, I was really unhealthy for a while, and I was so poor, like so poor. I mean, I loved eating at the Carnegie Building in Vancouver, but I ate, basically it was like a glorified soup kitchen that I ate at for 13 years, you know. And I still think meals are expensive when they're more than 75 cents, you know. <laughs> you know, I'm like, what? That's like ten dollars. I was like, I used to get that for a dollar and a quarter, you know. <laughs> oh, you know? Carnegie. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, I did a lot of, you know, I mean, I mean there's some wonderful memories and the other day my wife Heather was reading um, a book on a, an author from uh, Vancouver and we were just talking about the downtown east side and I was like, "Ah, fuck, I really wish I was just could wander around the downtown east side tonight, you know." You know, sometimes you get in those moods and it's just it's the best place in the world and everyone talks to each other so much and um It is it is funny it's just, like it's community, you know, like and all the horrificness of it and how much I I I, I'm down on certain things. It was it was really wonderful, but it was really you had to be in the right headspace for it. And and with my mental health problems, like it was really good that I got away from it. You know, mm-hmm. um, as far as like you, you hate to like you'd be like you know like where I'm living now. Like there's problems in London, Ontario too. Like there's needle exchanges. There's a lot of homeless problem, and not on the same scale. But like we don't live in that area. We don't live in the transition area, and like our area is already in the Wortley Village here is like gentrified, and like it's it's near downtown, but it's like it's like oh it's rosy you know Wortley Village like everyone's going for an espresso you know like we're all going to get our crystal angel sculpture for our Christmas tree this year you know like I don't know like um, I don't know but so like you can kind of avoid it and it makes life a lot easier. But there's certain memories of the past, like things I've been through and seen, um, that it's been totally unbelievable. Like it, would, it it should get down more than just in drawings. Like it should be in in a book format or something. You know, like a group of us should write some stories or something because it's it's just crazy. You know, like the stories are unbelievable. <laughs> um, you mentioned earlier uh, Jean-Michel Basquet. Mm-hmm. Um, who also dealt with a lot of mental health issues. Um, yeah, I would say more with addiction. And then he he had problems, I think, with keeping up with the demand of things. And I feel like he never wanted to get into that territory, but he just couldn't deal with the fame and the popularity and how fast everything came from him. Because he lived a very... He only made artwork for like seven or eight years, eh? Mm-hmm. And he's been a huge influence on my work and um, his lists and his, his later work with the cartoon imagery. And, like, I've gotten into a lot of collections of people that collect his work. And one of his former dealers that dealt with his, his estate, uh, Hans Mayer, Mayer in Dusseldorf, he bought work of mine in the Shores. When I was showing with the gallery, Richard Heller Gallery in Los Angeles, they bought work of mine. And, like, um, I was recently a collector from, from Sarnia, Ontario, um, I don't. I can't pronounce his last name. He owned work of Basquiat's and is a huge fan. Like, 
and Joe Gorillo, who I was showing with in New York, like he's chumming around with that circle a lot. Like Fab Five Freddy came to my last opening in New York from Yo MTV Raps and like like Basket's one of his best friends and like was hanging out with Maripole who did the Downtown eighty one documentary and like in like like he was kinda crazy, you know, like you know, hanging out with people from his estate that run his estate. Like they came to my opening and dinners in New York and like I don't know. Um it's kinda it's... crazy. But I have a real love for New York too. I'd really like to live in New York sometime or have a place in New York. I'd love to live here and have a condo in New York or something that's, that's a dreaming large but everyone thinks when you move to London, Ontario that you've kind of given up or you're like it's like lame or something maybe they don't all think that but like I don't know like I think it's a pretty good place here to be and like I mean maybe I have a bit of defensive up against me but like I don't know when I talk about in New York when I'm there not like I go a lot, but the, they ask me where I'm from, and I say I'm from London, Ontario. They think that sounds kind of exotic, like weirdly small, like like kind of small town. Like they don't know the difference between Toronto or London. Yeah. And they might know a little bit about Vancouver because of the Olympics or something, but like they don't know much about Canada. Even though a lot of the artists that have done well in New York are actually Canadian or comedians or different people or movie actors, so. But. <laughs> It's Most people's impression of Vancouver is just pictures of Granville Street. <laughs> yeah, or, or Cole Brian, Harbor. Brian Adams. Oh, oh, oh. Getting a little sick I there always, for a second. We always wanted to do a show called A Block Away from Brian. Mark <laughs> Bell and I ran um, a vending machine gallery in the old Blinding Light Cinema. And it was a vending machine gallery we ran for a short while. And then the Blinding Light closed and we decided not to do it anymore. And... Um, and uh, it was a block away from Brian Adams' studio in, in Vancouver. And I think we had joked about doing a show, a theme show about block, a block called A Block Away from Brian. And I wanted to get Nardwire to do some covers of Brian Adams' songs or get July 4th <laughs> Toilet involved. It would have been so cool good. I can, I can and, see the July 4th Toilet doing an album. Summer yeah, 69 by July 4th Toilet. They should, really. <laughs> Yeah, like because Robert met Brian at at a Basquiat show. What? Yeah, when B Basquiat did a show in Vancouver, he was dead. He had yeah. died, and he showed at Art Beatus Gallery in Vancouver through the old owner of Art Beatus, and it opened the same night as our P and the Owl show at Havana Gallery that Adam Hanna curated. So I couldn't go to the Basquiat opening because it was the same night but some people went to both shows and this was at Havana Gower that used to do really excellent shows that when Adad curated them and Robert went to the Basquiat show and met Brian Adams and I guess he talked to him about Sweeney Todd his earlier <laughs> band <laughs> that's a bit of a weird like, segue out of this interview but like I don't know I know I've talked about a lot about Robert but um, but, There's a lot to talk about with Robert. Yeah. <laughs> I'll always remember this... my first time with him, and he's like bringing out this record that is old Kim Mitchell and this yellow unitard. <laughs> it was amazing. Yeah. But, yeah, I know. There's a lot of times in the past I remin reminisce about, but there's lots of good stuff happening now, though. I feel like things are really moving forward and I'm not always like this old guy that's talking about the past, like about the 90s. Like, There's a place that's opening in, in, in London, Ontario called Hot Dog 
that's doing like a lot of experimental music shows. They're just starting to do them in this people Pam and Mike that do Bill Murray Radio through uh, CHRW Radio in London and um, they have a podcast they do it's really exceptional and um, they're doing like they're going to have zines in the store and they're going to have experimental videos and like do art shows and like they've got a wonderful space and it's so cheap here to run things you know, if anyone's ever getting down in Vancouver about the cost of living and not having enough space like I don't know they should really check out some of the other centers in Canada not just London they should check out like the East Coast and Hamilton and like um, Halifax. You know, I yeah, I mean Halifax is well, an amazing scene. Yeah, though the thing, the whole thing about NASCAD, maybe all that talk of them maybe shutting down or what? Smaller, getting smaller, oh, or like we don't get all the facts straight. I usually don't get my facts straight. That's my problem. But there's problems with NASCAD now and them being able to fund it or something or there's something I posted something maybe I didn't read the. The blog I posted close enough, but they're having some real problems with keeping the school afloat. That would be but, a I don't huge know. tragedy. There's some, definitely some major centers in Canada, you know, or even in the states, like cities like like Mark Bell was telling me about Pittsburgh the other day and how affordable it is to live there. And I checked it out. It's crazy. Like you can get houses for thirty and forty thousand dollars. You know, mm -hmm. whereas in Vancouver you're paying almost a million dollars for a house. Yeah. And like people have mortgages for like. Eight hundred thousand dollars and stuff. Like, I don't know. It's crazy. But... Don't make me sad. <laughs> I'm stuck here. Um, unfortunately, my uh, my my life does not allow for for traveling yeah. because of my vocation. Well, it's hard too with traveling when you have kids and stuff too. You know, you these wild ideas of moving to a mega center or something. You know, and then you're like. Like, you want to move to this, like, I want to, you know, if I want to move to New York, like, what do you do with your kids in school and stuff? And, like, you know, and, like, you know, the schooling system and, like, how the economy is kind of falling apart in the United States. And you're, like, it's probably a really bad time to be there, you know, and, like, I don't know. There's, yeah. there's, lot, there's lots, of, lots of things going on in my head with thinking about place and time. And, like, I think that's really going to come into my work a lot the next bit. Like, I started doing some drawings about not believing in where I was living here and like you know like is this really where I want to be and like and then it, like just after this Michael Gibson Not Bad for London show there's such a good momentum like we sold out a whole room full of our collaborations like 70 drawings to one collector and what? like I've never done that and like the National Gallery has works on hold by most of the artists not all the artists some of them and then like Museum London like I mean, it's kind of crazy. Like, there's stuff happening here that's never happened in my career anywhere else I've shown. You know, and I'm like, some people are like, oh, so you got a show in London, Ontario. Like, they think you're out in, like, some, like, farmer's field or something, like, with the cows. And, like, meanwhile, you're getting, like, some of the people that have come and seen our shows are, like, major, like, bank um, bank collectors and, like he like, head curators, like, head art writers in the whole country you know like I won't start saying names because that may be a little weird but like like we've had more people see the show and I've had more studio visits here in London like I had people involved with the Denver Art Museum come through and see me in London you know like they used to live in London and like it's crazy like you know just because you live in a smaller center doesn't mean you don't get people coming through and then when they do come through a lot of people gravitate towards a certain group so you get a lot of attention you know Mm -hmm. Like Paul Butler, my friend, used to talk about that when he lived in Winnipeg. You know, whenever anyone came through, you always got they always saw you. You know, that's you the know, Royal so Art Lodge in, that was in Winnipeg. 
Well, Paul wasn't involved with the Royal Art Lodge, but he was involved heavily with a lot of things in um, in uh, in Winnipeg. And he's in Toronto now. He's moved to Toronto. So I was trying to sway him to come to London. But yeah, the Art Lodge had a really interesting impact. Though we were pre-Art Lodge, some of us, us making work, we did collaborate with them a lot. And they did draw a lot of um, interest in our work through Canadian drawing and, and Canadians believing in Canadian... Like this is bad. Lower forms of art making, <laughs> <laughs> like zine making and puppet shows and like weird like album packaging and like not just like just like only the United States believed in like Raymond Pettibone and Mike Kelly when they did that kind of stuff. But in Canada, they never believed in artists that would do the supposedly the maybe it was like DIY style stuff. Like even though we're not really. DIY, like I don't have like a, a like a black flag tattoo on my arm or anything, you know. <laughs> well, I mean, it, I, I'm interested by that because I mean, here you guys are making these mini, these zines and minis that you can buy for like two, three, four bucks. Uh, yeah. And you're also doing an art installation on the ceiling at the Vancouver Art Gallery. Yeah, or like, you know, one moment you're you're selling zines. To teenagers at a like canzine, and the next minute you're you, you're representing your country at the Olympics. <laughs> <laughs> was that the um, the, the thing you did on the? It's still there, yeah. I think, too. No, it's gone. I heard it's gone now. Oh, really? So, oh man! I gotta try to track it down. I'm so like, I'm I'm bad, you know. I'm like I'm so so business savvy. <laughs> it's bad. It's bad. Like no, I have my side to me that really believes in art and art as like making change happen and building personal and stuff. But like, I'm I'm definitely involved with the commercial world of things. You know, it's I don't know. I think I need to cool it a little bit. You know, but then I I make my living from my work, which makes me like, you know, and I was I don't know. You try to support your your family and stuff, and like, you know, you, you end up. I mean, I haven't. I feel like I haven't compromised what I do, but I have to really hustle, you know. And like, after a while, you start losing momentum, and like, that's why I'm here in some ways. In London, it's so cheap to live, and like, it's easier, you know. Like, you can you can survive on less, and like, you know, like you have to travel more, but it's um, it's less of a struggle, you know. You get sick of the struggle after a while, you know, like. No, I, I don't want to work three jobs and teach at a school or something and, like, have to do, like, compromised work or, like, I don't know. You know, yeah. I don't know. No, I know. I, I do wish I lived somewhere more economically viable. Um, yeah, I mean, not to, I mean, maybe that's a bit of a downer yeah. talking about so much of this <laughs> on, like, a Vancouver program, but <laughs> I think people have to really realize what they're living in, you know, and, like, I don't it's, know. It's tough right now because, I mean, Vancouver as a city, like, there's this big push to be green and uh, outdoorsy, as you said earlier, about equipment co-op type uh, yeah. infrastructure of culture, and it doesn't really recognize art. Like, institutionally, like, the city isn't giving money to art, uh, the province isn't giving money to art, um, no. they're more they're interested in making sure there's a green way, you know? And, yeah, yeah, and like a lot of the, I know they were having problems with the, the was it the gaming funding or all the money that they soaked into the Olympics? It was doing cuts in 
funding for cultural events and such and there was a lot of stuff that was struggling and there was a lot of protests and like stop the cuts and such and I was following some of that and I was like a lot of even even a lot of the commercial galleries were shutting down but then there's always new things that pop up and start and maybe you know grassroots more like house shows for music and like shows uh, art shows and like houses and like you know little like outdoor film screenings and like bike bike art tours and like various events like it's the way to go you know as far as like maybe you don't need the physical space as much and people have to get really creative maybe it's a good time to make art you know it weeds out you know there's a lot of weeding out with the economic problems with like you know a lot of the, the fluff art you know isn't making a go of it anymore you know you know I don't know yeah. like you know the real people are surviving and the creative people are keeping it you know going you know well, I mean, it's uh, for for folks in Vancouver. The Eastside Culture Crawl is coming up fairly soon, so that's a good time to check out what we have, some of what we have to offer. Yeah, yeah. Um, we're nearing the end of our time here, um, so just remind folks. I've been chatting with Jason McLean, and the art show that you're currently in, one of many, probably the what we're talking about, the Not Bad for London, in scenic london ontario um featuring the forest city the forest city <laughs> home of the world skating camp i think it's world skating championship next year or something <laughs> yeah, all right big deal. big deal for the city they're going through a lot of like it reminds me of living in vancouver when they got the olympics accepted like they're like oh, we gotta soak all this money and clean the downtown up and everyone's like we need affordable housing and like no we need to have banners for different countries in the park and like but we need to build a beach downtown or something <laughs> <laughs> you know so I'm like this is like a smaller scale little mini Olympics because the world's gonna be spotlighted on London for a, a couple weeks well as much as it'll be spotlighted for a <laughs> skating championship <laughs> Yeah, I don't know if I'll be there. Maybe I'll Olympic Commission. Maybe I'll maybe I'll get to hang out with old Brian Orser or something or like I don't know. I I can already see uh didn't you do uh you've done I know you did the goalie pads, the painted yeah, goalie pads. I did did you do a nice skate? Huh? Speed skater. I did work with the speed skater Gaetan Boucher, his old butter commercial he did. <laughs> <laughs> so I've, done a, I've done a lot of work about sports and art it's true and um, I've often enjoyed the awkwardness in the combination of sports and art and um, I might have been, a bit of it might stem from the old um, drummer of the Nalas Bazin band who passed away Greg Curnow and his um, his mention of sports and art I'm not sure if that's how it evolved but um did a lot of stuff about boxing and hockey and sports cards and cycling and, and various things and I kind of saw it as an interesting way that like a lot of it had never really been mentioned in art that much that I had looked at the last number of years it was almost a taboo to almost talk about sports and art and like it was almost like you were either one or the other you know like artists didn't like sports but um, I don't know I had a real love for baseball when I moved to Toronto too it's like one of my favorite things to do. Just play or watch? To watch. And watch <laughs> and listen to it. I listened to it on the radio while I was in my studio. It almost was became like um like a religious experience to me. But like how 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 quiet and dull and like meditative it was to see it live and stuff. And so affordable. Mm-hmm. And like I don't know, it was really fun, so It sounds like it would be a good thing to do while 
doing art because it's not in your face. Like I said, it's no, dull. no, it's like everything, dudes. everything's so fast nowadays. You know, it's like you know, let's let's see like fifty clips in like a minute or something. So like to actually get something that was slow. And I read something about that in the newspaper a while ago. Like everything started, like people started like they're even talking. About, I was reading the other day about slow parenting or something. And like everything's like talking about slowing down a little bit because times have gotten so fast, you know. Like it's kind of interesting, like a backlash against it because people were like, "Oh my God, that's such a boring sport!" And I was like, "That's the best part about it." <laughs> <laughs> my my uh, my boss right now, she's a huge baseball fan, and she'll uh, yeah. leave early to watch the games. Got a lot of key players that have been doing well in, in the national. Uh, the uh, the uh, the baseball professional leagues, you know, like even like I think Joey Votto, uh, maybe is he from Newmarket or is he from the West Coast? There's a lot of West Coast players that have done really well, and it's like some of the key players in the league actually are That's Canadian. Funny. I'm I have this real closet like Canadian patriotic side to me. I think that stems from living in southwestern Ontario and the whole regional movement they had here with believing in Canadiana and anti-American. And that's a highly behind the spasm band too, like close the 49th parallel and like various things. And like, I'm really, I always acknowledge when people are Canadian. And like, <laughs> some people are like, so what? Who cares? Like, you know, you probably don't even know like all the provinces where they are if you saw a map, you know? Like, well, um, that's the whole, that's the whole <laughs> thing about being Canadian. It's you're Canadian. You're not, uh, yeah. you know, yeah. a someone from Manitoba. You say you're Canadian. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I've always believed in local personalities and local. I've always enjoyed reading about local, you know. That happened a lot when I was living in London, when I was first starting to read a lot about local things that happened here and, like, reading about things in your neighborhood and stuff. And I, I love that stuff. You know, like, why is it... I mean, I love New York and, like, reading about New York and stuff and romanticizing about it and seeing Woody Allen films and such. But, like... I love hearing about something in my neighborhood and just reading it in print or seeing a TV show or something like that that has something local, you know, and I'm like, why isn't that as important in some ways, you know? So, mm-hmm. um, it, it shows the importance of... Because uh, often in Vancouver, when I would talk about Vancouver in my work, too, it was the same thing, you know, what we were talking about earlier, like, why isn't that as significant as something that's happening in LA or something, you know, like, just because the news is focusing on, uh, um, you know, the Occupy New York, because it's like 10 times or 100 times bigger than the Occupy London, like, why isn't Occupy London as significant as, as New York, or like, I don't know, like, I don't know, it's all relative, you know, I don't know, I mean, I don't even know that much about Occupy New York or Occupy London, I read a little bit about it, but it's just an example, like, you know, it's always more interesting where it's bigger, you know? Yeah. You know, and who knows that some of those key people that are running different things in whether it's like, you know, uh, you know, someone like, um, you know, you read about people that are from here, like Walt Disney's parents were just from outside of London. <laughs> did you know, did you know that? I had no Do idea. Do a Wikipedia search. I think it's Alia Disney and she's just from outside of London, Ontario. Her, his parents know. lived. And like Jack Warner who's like just from outside you think he's from London or just outside of London like um, like this is crazy like you always picture these people being raised in these large centers and like people generally you know like move to the larger centers and, and they lose their past and pretend they're they're from some other center you know 
Yeah. Or people associate them with like some other center. I don't know. Well, welcome home to London, Jason. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, watch. I'll be talking to you in like two years, and I'll be totally living in LA. Or something. <laughs> it's <laughs> great here. We drive everywhere. I'll be doing like I'll be wearing my my purple fleece and like and um, coming up for weekend visits to Vancouver. <laughs> like I won't know what to do with my London, Ontario work. <laughs> oh dear. Uh, well, thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Jason, for uh, taking the time to chat with me well, today. Well, it only took us about three years to pull this off. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Maybe more it's than crazy. that. It's crazy. It's <laughs> crazy.